we ready to get started? Almost. So for those that are just slowly coming in, we have um, the handouts on the chair as you're coming in. And then a uh, quick reminder for Sunday school, uh, we will have mics for the interactions between everyone else and myself. And the reason why it's important to use the mic is because if you do not use it, people they are doing live streaming cannot hear at all what your questions or answers are. So it's very, very important to wait until someone bring you the mic um, to, to talk. Um, and anyway, it's good to, for everyone to hear as well and, and uh, here it, it amplifies your voice much more. Um, all right, uh, let's pray before we start. Dear Lord, we thank you for this morning, just allowing us to be here and allowing us to, uh, to read your word and to study your word. Lord, this is a privilege and we, uh, we honor you for, for that. As we study um, this Heidelberg Catechism the last week, we pray, Lord, that uh, you, you help us to um, strengthen the understanding that we do have of the word um, and that we can all be edified, be encouraged. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, yeah, last week we had um, Jared come out here and uh, he, he mentioned about something that I thought was like, what are you talking about? Which was, you know, the, the, um, the terms in, uh, related to planes, right? You know, the gouge and uh, command source. Uh, but basically he, he, he brought it really, um, in the, the, the importance of understanding that the catechism it's not a replacement of our Bible, right? Um, the Bible is our command source. It's our main uh, source of truth. Um, the, the catechisms, in particular, the Heidelberg Catechism that we are uh, learning this, this past month or so, is, uh, is just a guide. And it helps to reinforce what we know. And if you think about the Bible having so many different books, sources, that can be compiled to come to bring about the different theologies. Uh, the Heidelberg Catechism here helps us with our understanding of those theologies. But th it them, uh, itself is not where we should be learning the Word of God. So I just want to make sure that everyone is clear. Now I want to, I want to now go back all the way to the first lesson um, that Craig did, which covered question two. Question two says, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? And the comfort here, he is referring to that I'm not my own, but belong to Christ. There were three things, three things that we must know to live and die in the joy of this comfort. Can anyone remember that? Summary, summary. This is all the way back, question two. Anyone? Not, I'll recap it for us. Oh, Sam. Was it um, misery, grace, gratitude? Yeah, so that's, that's a good summary. I like um, to remember three Gs. This is what I just learned yesterday, actually, through Facebook. Sometimes Facebook can be good. So uh, I use um, three Gs, guilt, grace, gratitude. But on the Heidelberg uh, Catechism language, the first one is my sin and misery, right? If we understand, um, our sin and misery first. 
Second one is the deliverance that Jesus Christ has provided for us for, the, for that sin and misery. And as a result, thankfulness is the outcome of understanding that deliverance. So the reason why I want to recap question two is because question two is actually the way that the Heidelberg Catechism sections are laid out. Um, we have two weeks covering the sin and misery. We have two weeks uh, that we have covering the deliverance portion of it. So today we are covering the thankfulness or the gratitude portion of it. Uh, now, background on Heidelberg, uh, it's written in the mid 1500s. I'm not aware of catechism, period. Like I'm like, what is this catechism that uh, Craig was, Christian, we are going to do this uh, for, for at least a month. Uh, I, I was brought up just like Jared also um, going through, you know, in, in a Christian um, background. I went through Sunday school, never heard catechism a single day, uh, ever. And so when I look in the Heidelberg catechism, I was like, so many questions. Some of them are really long answers. How am I going to remember this? But the idea is not to remember those things, right? The idea is so that you get, um, uh, you, you, you can reinforce what you already know. Um, so that's something that I want all of us to remember. Uh, so as we start thankfulness today, I will capture different uh, questions. I handpicked literally a, a few things that uh, to me uh, will be good for us to cover today. Uh, there are some of the questions that we want to um, really like peel the, the layers of the onions, but there are some that we'll just breeze through, all right? So hopefully the time allows me to do that. All right, the first one is question 86. Since we have been delivered, by the way, question 86 is the beginning of this section of thankfulness. It goes all the way to 129 at the end. Um, so the question goes, since we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any mer merit of our own, why then should we do good works? So the question that I want to ask all of us is, has anyone encountered this question? We've been guaranteed the salvation by Christ, right? We know we'll, we'll get to heaven. Then why do we continue to do good works? What's the point? Has anyone asked that question as you learn about you know, your faith, your journey with Christ, or maybe other people, you know, as you uh, do your discipleship, or maybe with uh, conversations with non-Christians, do you have these um, discussions? Are we trying to earn our salvation through doing good works? You know, what, what kind of things have, have come up in, in your personal life so far? Anyone? Morning, Christian. Morning. Um, I'm. I've just. When you ask the question, if you notice Romans six thirteen at the very. Part of that question at the very bottom of it, because mm -hmm. it just reminded me the Hurdle, Hurdle, uh, the Heidelberg Confession. The purpose of it, uh, when the students would get this into their hands, they would hear the question and then look at the Word of God. That yeah. that's, and so when I'm reading that to answer your question, here's what Romans six thirteen says: Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death to life right. and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Yeah, that, that verse speaks a lot about that we used to be slaves <laughs> to sin, now we are slaves to Christ. 
So the body that used to be slave and were into all unrighteousness should be converted into righteousness. That should separate us from the non-believing, right? So I laid out five, section, uh, five components that um, that question answered. The first one is, if we go back to our study on 2 on Peter, uh, let's open 2 Peter 1. I'll read it for us here. 2 Peter 1, uh, verse 5 through 7. It says, therefore, this very reason, which is basically our salvation that has been granted to us, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. So the first point there is that our salvation will naturally result in spiritual fruit, with qualities, with good works. Right? And this is what Second Peter 1 is telling us here. When we have faith, which is the beginning part of salvation, that naturally will produce fruit. You have no choice but to do that. The second one is uh, what we want to focus on today is to show our thankfulness. If we have been granted this salvation, we, have, we just have no other choice but to show our thankfulness by through our good works. And then the third one is for his glory and praise. And then the fourth one, and this is something that we also covered when we were studying Second Peter, for our assurance of faith. And then the fifth is what we already talked about. How do we separate ourselves from um, the world? It's through our good work. So the fifth point is evangelism, right? The way that we share the gospel is through our good works, through evangelism here as well. Uh, I like to, um, the fact that in Psalm, uh, we have so many, so many theme of thankfulness. So I was looking at Psalm 107, 118, 136. This sentence is repeated many, many times. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. So many of that. So if, if we know that his, we, we know the immensity of his love and his steadfast love, we'll respond in giving thanks to him. All right, question 91 is the next one. But what are good works? So we talk about good works in question 86. What are good works, though? How would the, wor the world define it? How would we define it? Anyone have any thoughts about that? Good works. Is it uh, just, you know, oh, we, we see someone helping with a uh, sprinkler uh, the other day um, that didn't work. Um, all right, is that good works? Is there any, any other standards that we can think about about good works? All right, yeah, Jane. I, I was just ahead. gonna say that good, good works is what we would, you know, we're always going to define it based on how we define good. Yeah. Which is always going to be different than how God defines good. Right. I, I like the way that you do this. Um, because the definition of good, and if you, if you think about the world, that definition of good, everyone has that definition. Where whoever you talk with, um, it's actually interesting if you, if you want to just go deep with anyone, whether Christians or non-Christians, ask them, 
hey, what is good to you? As simple as that. And you will know their theology and um, their Christianity, what, they, what, what they believe in just by that question. Um, so the, the, the answers to this question uh, in the catechism, three sections. The first one is good works have to be with faith. Second one is it follows God's law, which is God's standard. And we've been talking about what our measuring stick is. It needs to follow God's law. And the third one is for his glory. So I want to go backwards a little bit here. So I'll start from for his glory. So let's open 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. I have it actually in, 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 my, uh, in my kitchen here. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If we do believe in him, everything that we do should be all for his glory, as simple as that. Uh, second, the second point was following God's law, and we'll capture this in the next question, question 92. Uh, but I want to expound much further on with faith. Uh, remember I mentioned about uh, in Second Peter, it says with supplement your faith with blah, 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 like all the qualities. So the starting point, the foundation has to ha come with faith first. Um, but in, in Hebrews 11, does anyone remember what Hebrews 11 is all about? Hebrews 11, I think it's quite famous, right? It's the hall of faith, right, as they call it. Uh, but in particular, Hebrews 11, 6, uh, let me read it for us, 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That sounds maybe simple to us, you know, hey, we have to do things by faith for him, for us to please him. But the opposite, though, to me is quite stark. Um, I was reading this last night because we have the, the different um, supporting Bible verses for the answers to the catechism questions. If we open to Romans 14, 23, if we can all open together there. So Romans 14.23 says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So as I was preparing this, I was talking with Joan, my wife, and we were just like, what does that mean? You know, does that mean that if uh, we have considered habitat for humanity as, an, as a good example, right? Not everyone who's involved in Habitat for Humanity are Christian. So do you, do you then consider um, two different kinds of people? So we have the Christian serving in that Habitat and we have non-Christians. The same work, the Christian's work will be good works, the non-Christian's work will be sin. Is that what the Bible is telling us? I think so, I think so. And the, wh why is that the case? I mean, if you think about it, right? As Christians, when we have faith, when we do good works, the motivation is to glorify the Lord. As non-Christians, what would be the motivation for those, good, for those same 
works, the good works that we are doing. We don't know, right? we, we will never know, but what are the, what are the motivations that we know we sometimes, we are still in our flesh, right? We still in, um, a, like we are not free from, completely from sin. Sometimes when I do my own good works, it's all for my own glory. I, I want to be served. Um, take an example, you know, as I serve, you know, soundboard and, you know, all these things, there are days when I, I don't want to serve. I, why am I not being served? Like, I have that myself too. And so we continually do need to repent as well of our own motivation, right? The heart is what the Lord looks at first, right? So I want to actually uh, look into Hebrews 11, verse 4. Yeah, go ahead. Craig. Just a quick comment. This is so, so important. I'm really glad you, you hit on this because anybody can do things and, and even appear to be doing good works, even appear to be doing it out of a good motivation. But we don't know. We don't know what somebody's heart is. It might seem like somebody, wow, they seem like a really nice, kind, compassionate person. But we don't know what the reason that what is behind what they're doing. And that's, that's it, it really, really important that we get the difference between why we're doing this and right. this is what is what the Lord uh, actually honors. Yeah, thank you for stressing that. No, it's um, it's it's a hard it's a hard lesson. I I I'm, I'm, this is for sure is not easy for people who want to follow Christ. Um, and I want to go into eleven uh, chapter eleven verse four of that uh, book of Hebrews because. Um, there's more to understanding this um, that we can learn. And the nice thing about the Bible is it's not just leaving us with a statement. There are examples of that so that we can understand even better. So ch uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was com commanded as righteous, God commanding him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. John Calvin uh, was, uh, I, I'm quoting John Calvin here. Abel's sacrifice was preferred to Cain's for no other reason that it was sanctified by faith. So if you recall the, the, the story of Abel and Cain, both of them had sacrifices, right? One is of the, the fruits, the, uh, the things that are of the ground, the other one is the animals. One, I mean, they're both sacrifices. Why, why is God honoring one but not the other? The difference is it's the faith. This is what it says here. But what about faith that makes it different? So the faith means that Abel's sacrifice was holy and unblemished. If you remember in Leviticus, one of the books that have a lot of about to do um, about sacrifices, it has to be unblemished, if you recall that. It has to be perfect lamb, perfect pigeons, I think, there is, you know, depending on um, whether you're well off or not, right? You have different kinds of sacrifices, but they all have to be unblemished. Why is, why is it critical for it to be unblemished? It's because this has to be acceptable to a holy God. A holy God cannot accept anything that's unholy, if you will, right? So. It cannot just be any sacrifice. Yes, Ralph. We have to ask ourselves, where does the faith itself come from? 
Now, the faith is the motivator, and who is the author and finisher of that faith? Right. So we know that if, if the faith is provided by God, who then motivates the action, which is the work, we know that the work will be fruitful because it's basically from God. Right. Because he's directing it. We would hope that someone would move because of an inclination that they feel through the Holy Spirit upon something, and then that deed they do would be blessed by God, and the person to whom it would be given to would be blessed also. Right. And we know that because the faith comes from God through Jesus, Jesus' sacrifice, he being both our priest and the sacrifice, that's the process of that um, sanctifying the, the work that we do have. Um, and, and I think this is what Paul mentioned in Romans 12 when it says, uh, present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Once we have been saved, uh, the, 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 our life it becomes fully sacrificed as holy and acceptable to the Lord. Without, without that faith, our sacrifice cannot be holy. It will always be blemished. Um, another quote that I like is uh, by a Puritan, uh, Thomas Brooks. Till men have faith in Christ, their best services are but glorious sins. It's like, ouch, that's really tough on really anyone um, that does not, not have faith. Um, but I think it's true. I think it's really true. So anyone have any other thoughts related to good works? Yes, Rebecca. I also thought of the verse that talks about our righteousness as filthy rags. You know, so it, anything that we do that isn't motivated by Christ, and then that would take you to like an unbeliever, you know, doing good works that are just, they're, they're meaningless. They don't get you anywhere, and they right. don't get you to heaven, and they don't gain you favor with God. And so it kind of all ties in with that verse as well. Definitely. I was looking at, um, underneath question 91, uh, asterisk number four, Matthew 15, seven to nine, in relationship to good works, Jesus is confronting the religious leaders in Matthew uh, 15, seven, seven through nine. Um, He's saying, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you. And when he said that, he started saying, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, mm. teaching as the commandments of men, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So just making a point there, what you had mentioned earlier, that here's scripture pointing to the very thing, right. traditions. These are non-Christian leaders roving themselves as believers, and Christ is pointing us away from them. Right. Thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. And I, I thank the Lord that our God is constant. Whether you are talking about New Testament, Old Testament, you will see him focusing on the heart, um, being obvious. So there's no question about the, the understanding here. So as we, um, as we live, uh, leave this question, 
the, the one implication that I want us to, to understand here is doing good doesn't always mean biblical good works. Faith is required as that qualification. All right? So let's move on to question, the, the next three questions. Um, I hope it's going to be quick. There's a reason for that, because we have covered them before. So first question is question 92. What is God's law? Does that look somewhat familiar to you? Does it sound really, really familiar? Um, if anyone still have question four of the Heidelberg Catechism and can say it, um, I, I might need actually uh, refer to my phone as well, but my question four. Um, but question four, if you remember the answer to that, it says about God's law. So what is God's law? Does anyone remember that? The answer is in Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Just two things, right? Love the Lord with everything you have and love others as yourself, love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, question 92 actually make it even bigger by listing out all the commandments, right? The first to the fourth commandment focuses on our love for the Lord. The fifth to the 10 commandments focuses on our love for others. Um, now, think about why are the authors of Heidelberg Catechism repeats this, this, this question here that we already captured in the first section, which is sin and misery, all right? So think about it first, because I want to go to question 114. So question 92 is, what is God's law, which is the commandments of the Lord, um, uh, uh, the Ten Commandments? And then question 93 to question 113, basically put into details every single commandments. So feel free to read them yourself. I'm not going to spend 10 hours on it. So uh, I will just jump into question 114. But can those converted to God obey these commandments, the Ten Commandments, perfectly? The Jesus, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, let me guess, uh, Brett. <laughs> So does this sound familiar too? This is question five. And I think the other day it was um, Dominic that answered this question uh, with the straight question, uh, answer no, right? Uh, question five um, ex says exactly the same about how do we keep the law of God, which is to love others uh, as ourselves and to love God. There's no way to do that perfectly. And uh, the answer to question 114 is no, in this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of disobedience. Yes, Brett. Yes, I have a substitute. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, so keep that answer in mind as we continue uh, thinking about why is this repeated again um, for this section here. And the next one is question 115. Since no one in this life can obey the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God want them preached so pointedly? What's the point? 
So let's, let's remember again question number three. How do you come to know your misery? And the answer to that is the law of God. The importance of knowing the law of God is one, to know our sin and misery and to look to Christ for our deliverance. So the reason why question three, question four, and question five are repeated because we learn about our sin and misery at the beginning part of the catechism by understanding the law of God and the way that we are so imperfect and we cannot accomplish them on our own and we need Jesus to, to, to deliver us from that sin and misery. Understanding the law of God helps us there. Now, that same understanding will teach us how to be thankful. That's why it's critical to remember again where we started. We started with our sin and misery and we've been delivered. We have no choice but to be thankful that we've been given such deliverance. So that's the, to, uh, to me, I believe that's the reason why uh, the authors here repeated question three, question four, and question five, obviously in different ways, highlighting different things. Um, in addition to uh, understanding our sin and misery, the reason why the Ten Commandments are preached so, so well and so neededly is because of our sanctification. We need them for our sanctification. We want to keep striving and praying to reach that goal of holiness um, as the Bible teaches us. So let's open actually 1 Peter chapter 1. It says here actually about um, our sanctification. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 16. So up to, um, up to the, uh, basically up to that point, um, Peter has described about uh, salvation and faith that has been tested to be genuine like gold. And then it says in uh, verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Right, so by knowing and learning our Ten Commandments, it helps us to strive to that holiness that we are called for. Any questions? Any thoughts? Question three to question five. Repeated in question 92, 114, and 115. You like it so far? All right. The last question, it's good. We have, we have about at least 10 minutes to, to, to do question 116. Why do Christians need to pray? Why do we need to pray? How is this related to thankfulness, gratitude? I'm sure everyone here prays, I hope.
shows us um, that we are dependent on God. Like it takes away our um, self. The word I can't think of the word I'm looking for. That you know that we're able to do it ourselves. You yeah. know that we it shows our dependence on God and it humbles us. Definitely. Kind of puts us in a position of knowing that He's the one that supplies everything, rather than our sufficiency in us. And so, um, and also we need to confess, um, which acknowledge our sin, and that also puts us in a place of realizing who we are. And so it's a very necessary thing that we need to do, and we can't do anything without him. It helps us acknowledge that because we live in a very self-confident, that's the word I was looking for, society, mm-hmm. you know, where we just can, we can handle anything, we can do it, you know, and um, as Christians, we need to humble ourselves and know that we can only do stuff because the Lord allows us or gives us the strength to do it. Thank you. Yeah. Anyone else on the importance of prayer? Yeah, just to follow that up, um, Paul instructs us to pray without ceasing, Yeah. right? And so that keeps us in an attitude of what Rebecca was just talking about on a moment-by-moment basis, mm-hmm. not just when you're thinking about it and you have this time where you're in your prayer closet or wherever you pray, you that you recount that but it's on a moment by moment basis throughout the day that you are recognizing and acknowledging God's sovereignty in everything that you experience and it keeps us in a in an attitude of of desiring holiness and righteousness in our behavior because we're conscious of the fact that we are in communion with God all the time right so Prayer keeps us where we should be versus where our natural flesh desires us to be, which is in control and without God. Yeah, thank you. And, and, and then, um, remind us, do you, know, do you remember where that verse is, pray without ceasing? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So... First Thessalonians, let's open them, let's open that uh, together. First Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, because I think it's really good to, to read this word together. Not put, trying to put you in the, on the spot then. First Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. <clears throat> I need to open that as well. Starts with rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When when I first read this um, early on in my walk with Christ, um, to me this is just a mark of Christian life, right? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing giving thanks in everything that we do in any circumstance. And I was like, all right, there are three things that I need to always remember. But the more I learn about these uh, three verses, the more I realize that these three are probably not exclusive of one another. They are kind of interrelated. And let me, let me, let me share with you what I learned uh, this past week. When we pray, because prayer is key to being thankful, when we pray, 
we will be more thankful, right? We, we can be more thankful, Where, and why? Uh, and you know, just as Rebecca and Dan already mentioned, one, you know, we get the right perspective of God, who, how big God is and how small we are. Um, we understand our circumstances are short-lived in comparison to eternity, right? We humble ourselves. We do not put ourselves way ahead, you know, the way uh, Rebecca mentioned about self-confidence. We do not have that anymore. Uh, and then uh, remember God's promise about if we ask for the Holy Spirit, it will be granted to us. By asking and receiving the Holy Spirit, it will enable us as well to be thankful and to be able to love others too. And one of the, uh, the biggest tendency that we do have is to complain, right, by praying it removes us that tendency. So think about it. Um, by, by, by praying without ceasing, we will naturally be thankful. And by doing that, by praying, we naturally will find the joy of the Lord and the joy in the Lord as well. So that rejoicing always make, makes sense now, right? So rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, all come hand in hand. If you do not have one, most likely you do not have the other. There's no way, there's no way you can be rejoicing if you never give thanks. They just come together. And you, you cannot have both without praying. Um, the Bible gives so many examples of thankfulness and lack of it as well. Um, and I want us to think about um, you know, with me here. Um, does anyone recall some stories, some examples of people either being thankful or not thankful in the Bible that we might be able to learn from? Some certainly, yeah, certainly the, the Israelites roaming in the yeah. desert, <laughs> wanting all of their old food in their slave days. We have so many, like, repeat stories of that right, and uh, many accounts. Uh, the Israelites, for them being not thankful, the grumbling, the complaining uh, was so evident. Uh, but it's in Exodus, as soon as they came out and realizing that they were chased by the Egyptians, that's the first sign of not being thankful, right? Uh, you know, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy, like all accounts of that uh, thankfulness was missing. Um, and yet, the beautiful thing is God still blessed them. God's faithfulness is still evident as well. And so that's our call, is knowing that God is faithful, how can we continue to be more and more thankful, looking back as to what he has done. Um, in the New Testament, um, as we study Luke so far, uh, if you recall Luke 17, 12 to 19, we had the healing of the 10 lepers. Only one was thankful. Let's open that, Luke 17. Luke 17, verse 12 to 19. Jesus cleanses 10 lepers. So only one out of the 10, as they went, the 10 lepers were asked to show yourselves to the priest by Jesus. And as they went, I'm reading from um, the second part of verse 14. As they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15. 
Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. I like the last part because it's clear there that the reason why he came back was because of faith. And when he says he made you well, it's not just about, we know that it's not just about the, the physical healing, but also the spiritual healing that was given, granted to him. And that uh, section shows how faith produces thankfulness. So as we, as we close, um, uh, I want to leave everyone with that verse, First um, Thessalonians 5:18 again, in terms of our thankfulness and gratitude. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the will of God. We know that we are we're giving thanks. We are fulfilling the will of God. Um, any last comments, thoughts in the last uh, three minutes or so about this topic of thankfulness, gratitude? This is the last one of our Heidelberg Catechism. Um, next week and the week after, we are, fo we are focusing on uh, the, what's October 4th? Not Halloween. <laughs> Not Halloween. Yeah, we have, uh, <coughs> the, the, the Reformation is, is important to our faith, right? In the 1600, uh, a lot of the Puritans pur lived in that era as well. We are thankful for them, and we want to highlight that in the next two weeks. Um, any last thoughts? Julius. Uh, I just wanted to comment on, you know, just how it all comes together with the praying without ceasing and the, the thankfulness and then the, the character that in First Peter 5 and, and just the, that the, throughout the Bible that God's always clear about how forgetful we are that we just forget to remember. We forget to remember that we are just, I don't know how to say it, like, like objects of his mercy, of his grace. And if you think about our failures to, to be the kind of people that God wants to be, like in first five, and have those characteristics to be thinking of, it comes from an attitude of forgetfulness. Just forgetting, like, hey, wait, you know, I'm not, you know, special. God didn't save me because I was special. You know, he chose me. You know, because he's special. So, right. Um, that's all. Grace alone, for sure. Real, just real quick, too. Just, <clears throat> I, I mean, you really touched on really important things about I even our reliance. Why, why we do prayer? Because it shows our reliance on 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 God for everything. One, one of the other things, and I think even the Thessalonians passage points through a little bit, but obedience. One other reason for for prayer. Is obedience. We're called to pray to God. So just if even, even that one thing, if we want to be more like God and be obedient and show honor to him there, that's praying is one way to do that. Yeah. And then the benefits of that, you just enumerated very, very well that because that gives us a grateful heart and all those things are, are tied in that we're not going to be grumbling when we're praying. And all right. Thank you. Thank you for the engagement.
this is good. Always good to, to, to read more about the word, understand more of the mystery of the word as well. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for um, just being able to uh, understand thankfulness better. Lord, we thank you for uh, the mercy and grace that you've given us. Um, we doubt that we, we don't have the faith and we will still live under the bondage of sin. So um, we praise you for that. And as we uh, live on, we ask that you enable us, Lord, by the Spirit to, um, uh, to live out our faith through good works so that we can show to others how thankful we are. Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.